Thanks, Jake. I appreciate those prayers. And as he mentions, we are continuing to pray for those who are, are physically ill. And I know some are probably joining us on our live stream. Uh, please know that you're missed. I know several of you reached out to me uh, this, this past week and mentioned how ready you are to get back to church. And we're ready, ready to have you and just trust in God's good timing there. And I know several of you are Kind of doing some things where you think, okay, now we're, we're nearing this next phase and ready to go back to church and just know that we're excited about that. And uh, I know that uh, there's some hard decisions families and individuals are having to make. And so just trust the Lord with all of that as we, I, I think, enter into a new, a new phase of, of this in, in our community. And just trust the Lord to uh, give you wisdom in those things as you uh, make the decision about which week to the return to, to worship, and hopefully that we'll be uh, we'll, we'll all be back to worshiping together soon in, in God's good timing. A couple things, just I know Mike mentioned a couple things in the weekly, so be sure to look at that. Also, two weekends we have our discipleship and biblical counseling conference, so be thinking about being a part of that. And then a week from today, on the 28th in the afternoon, we're going to be having a, a family meeting where we talk about membership, welcome some, some folks into membership, and then also we're going to be talking about our, our finances, specifically related to our building. Just very grateful to the Lord for uh, how he's been providing for us there. I think come, you'll be excited about that as well and, and encouraged by what the Lord is doing this has been a tough year financially for many of you, I'm, I'm sure, and so the fact that so many of you are continuing to faithfully give uh, to the Lord and, and his ministries here and, and continue to hold all of your resources uh, for, for him and view them in that way is, is a huge encouragement to, to me, and I hope it is to you, and, and we'll talk about some of that this next Sunday, so the 28th, but then also in the, in the coming weeks. We're going to be talking about our upcoming budget. Our fiscal year starts in May, and so we'll just be talking about how the Lord might have us view our resources and, and spend his resources this next year. So it should be a, a fun conversation next Sunday and in the weeks to come. Be praying that the Lord would help us use the things that he's given us well. It's a huge challenge for us. It reveals the, the nature of our hearts so that, that God would help us to view all the things that we have been entrusted with as his and to use them for his glory, our, our homes, our cars, our children, whatever it is that we have, that God would help us use those for his glory. We're in Acts chapter 8, and so I want to encourage you to turn there. Verse 26 is where we're going to be beginning. Remember that we have spent some time looking at the church in Jerusalem kind of looked at the nature of the church as it lays its foundations. We're not quite to the point in the book of Acts where there's going to be a huge mission focus specifically on, on missions beyond the immediate focus of, of the Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria area. That's, that's coming. And so we're kind of in a section that's talking about some of the, the aspects of the gospel witness that maybe would not have been intuitively understood by the early church. They're gaining a deeper understanding about what the mission is that God has called them to, and that includes the issue of baptism. They're going to be understanding some new things about baptism, and I think Luke is going to be teaching us some things about baptism here as we look at the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, 
If you say, well, I really want to dive in deep and understand what Bethany believes about baptism, that's, that's not necessary. Hopefully you learned some things about baptism this morning, but that's not the main focus of our passage this morning. We're going to talk about some things that baptism proclaims and talk about it in relationship to discipleship. But if you would like to get some more resources on baptism, I have a couple things at the Welcome Center for you, and these are all uh, free. Uh, some of them are things that I just was given. Uh, some of these things um, I just spent my kids' um, food money on. But feel free to grab. No, uh, these are all free to you, to you if you would use them. One is a little booklet called Preparing Your Children for Baptism. And so if you have young children who are asking you about being baptized, and you say, well, I want to take them through a resource, this is at the Welcome Center. If we run out, email me or, or Phil, and we can email you a copy of the PDF. It's by Josh Mulvihill, and Phil did some adaptations for our church context. And so this is just a, we did this with two of our kids to prepare them for baptism. We went through it as a whole family, and we just kind of went through it real, real slowly. And so if you'd like that, that's there. If you are considering being baptized, recommend this book to you. It's called Understanding Baptism. It's from the Church Basics series. And so if you're just wanting to know a little bit more about baptism and, and you're thinking about it, grab one of these at the Welcome Center. Again, if we run out, let me know. And then the last book is called Going Public. It talks about the relationship between baptism and discipleship and church membership. If, you're, if you have some questions and you want to go a little bit deeper than we're going this morning, recommend this book to you. If we run out of the Welcome Center, I've got this copy in my hand. You're welcome to have that. If we run out of those, uh, Amazon is a great resource or your local bookstore or whatever. Uh, I'm not buying everybody one of these. But um, <laughs> Uh, if, if you like it, it's, it's a great resource. I encourage you to get it. If you need it, I will certainly buy you a copy of it. That's not a problem. Uh, so we're here in Acts chapter 8, and we're in verse 26. And remember, Philip has been in Samaria. He was in Jerusalem, then it went north after the persecution. He's in Samaria proclaiming the gospel. He and the apostles, Peter and John, come back to Jerusalem in verse 25. And now God has some more things in store for Philip and his ministry. And so if you're able to, if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated on his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, 
about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we would ask that by your grace you would open your word to us this morning. We pray that we would understand the things that the baptism is proclaiming and that we would take the path of discipleship with joy, that we would be excited about following after you as followers of your son Jesus. We pray that the Spirit would enable us this morning to to grasp these truths and to love these truths and to proclaim them to others. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If someone were to come to you and ask you some questions about baptism, how how well do you think you would be able to to answer those questions? Maybe you do okay with with the easy questions. You know, someone comes to you and says, well, uh, should, should all Christians be baptized? You say, well, yes, all Christians should be baptized. Someone says to you, well, does a person have to be baptized in order to be saved? Does baptism save you? You say, nope, baptism doesn't save you. You are saved by God's grace, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you, but yes, you should be baptized. You think, okay, those are some pretty easy questions. But what if people start asking you some, some harder questions? Maybe someone says to you, well, why baptism? Why does God want us to be baptized? What's what's significant about baptism? Or someone may ask you, well, what's what's the difference between a a person who's been baptized and a person who who hasn't been baptized? Is there like something special that a person, spiritual, that a person who's baptized gets that a person who hasn't been baptized doesn't receive? Or a person may ask you, well, what's the relationship between baptism and discipleship. Jesus says that we're to be baptized. It's part of what his disciples do. What is it about baptism and, and discipleship? What's, what's the relationship between those things? And, and some of those questions might be a little bit more difficult to answer. And in fact, different church traditions have, have answered some of those questions differently. For example, you think about our, our, our Roman uh, Catholic friends. Uh, some of them would, would believe what I believe are some, some things that are very wrong about baptism. In fact, some of them would, we would say they, they, they place too much of an emphasis on baptism in terms of, of the Christian life. Uh, some Roman Catholics, in fact, the Roman Catholic Church would officially teach that, that baptism is, is the means that God saves you through initially. In fact, the Roman Catholic Catechism says this, It says, through baptism, we're freed from sin and reborn as sons of God. It says baptism is is not just a symbol, but the catechism says it actually brings about the birth of water and the spirit without which 
No one can enter the kingdom of God. So instead of baptism being a, a symbol, something that signifies what God has done inside of your, your life and in your heart, it actually is the means that God uses to save you. And we say, okay, that, that's a wrong understanding of the importance of baptism. That's placing an, an, a significance on baptism that Scripture does not. We're not saved through the means of, of this act of baptism. We're saved by God's grace, through faith in his Son. That's, that's the gospel, and something contrary to that actually undermines the gospel. It's, it's a false gospel to say that baptism saves you. But on, on the other extreme, you have some churches, some traditions, that really de-emphasize the importance of baptism. I, I know of, of some of you who've come to me and talked to, to me about churches that you've been a part of, maybe the church you grew up in, and you, you became a Christian, and then no one ever talked with you about being baptized. And years went by, and you were never baptized. It wasn't really talked about or emphasized. And, and, and some of you have come to me and said, okay, I, I want to be baptized, but it kind of seems like that's pretty far down the road, and I'm, I'm pretty far down the road, and baptism is, is back here. It feels kind of awkward to get baptized. It's, it's like that situation where you, you're introduced to someone, or, or maybe you're Maybe you're at the gym, and you introduce yourself to someone, and then you kind of run next to them on the treadmill and help them lift weights or something, and weeks go by, and you talk about your kids, and you talk about jobs, and you talk about life, and, and a couple weeks, months go by, and you just really have a great friendship, and you realize, I don't know this person's name, uh, but now it's really awkward to ask them uh, their name, so I'm not quite sure what to do. And, and some of you may feel like that, like, okay, I'm, I, I know I need to be baptized, but I've, I've gone down this, this path, and... And again, I feel like I'm square 42, and that'd be going back to square one. Uh, I don't quite know what to do there. And so there's a de-emphasis we can place on baptism, not seen as important enough, a significant part of the Christian life, or we can have an overemphasis on what it, what it does, what it accomplishes. We gain a better understanding of baptism as we look at what Jesus says. Jesus, in Matthew 28, in his last words to his disciples, would talk about the, the integral nature, the, the importance of baptism for discipleship, for disciples. Go, therefore, says Jesus, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, baptism is an essential part of discipleship. Baptism is, is essential. In fact, here's the main idea that we're going to be looking at this morning. Baptism is essential in obeying Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. Baptism is not something optional for the disciple. Baptism is something essential. And if we're going to, to walk the path of discipleship, baptism is, is integral to that. As we are baptized, we enter into this relationship of, of discipleship publicly. Baptism is foundational to proclaiming and preparing. Now, here's what I want us to accomplish. As we think about baptism is, is essential in obeying Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations, there's there's a couple goals that I would have for our time together this morning. One would just be, if, if you've not been baptized, you're a believer and you've not been baptized, 
my hope would be that you'd be excited about being baptized and you would follow the Lord in obedience and, and be baptized. My other goal this morning would be that all of us who've been baptized would, would be excited about our baptism and excited about the truths that, that baptism proclaims. As we think about what baptism does, that we would we'd be excited by these truths that baptism is proclaiming, and we would be reinvigorated to, to follow the path of discipleship to which God has called us. These are not truths just for new believers. These are truths that baptism proclaims that are for all of us, truths that, that should excite all of us. And we're going to think through five things that baptism proclaims that should encourage us as we look at this story. This is a story that culminates in a baptism. And again, I, I think that Luke is trying to, to teach us some things about baptism as we look at this very unique baptism to help us understand why it is so important to the discipleship to which God calls us. So five things that baptism proclaims that are essential for disciples and discipleship. And here's the first thing. Number one, number one, baptism proclaims the beauty of the new covenant. Baptism proclaims the beauty of the new covenant. Look at your scripture with me, if you would. And let's, let's see what's happening here. Remember, verse 25, Philip has been in Samaria, then he and Peter and John, they come back to Jerusalem. And as they come back to Jerusalem, God has a, a plan for Philip, and he tells Philip, I want you to, to go out on this, this road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's kind of a, a deserted road. I want you to go out there. And so Philip obeys. Now, why does he emphasize, why does Luke emphasize that it's a desert place? I think what Luke is telling us is the gospel message is continuing to expand and that God has a, a sovereign plan for the expansion of this gospel message. So Philip goes out to this road, and he stands there, and it's, at some point, he sees this, this chariot traveling along the road. And Luke tells us who's in this chariot. A chariot, by the way, would have been like a, a flat board, probably, uh, with, with wheels and, and some places to sit. This probably would have held about three people here. There's a driver, and Philip, and the Ethiopian eunuch will be in it at one point, but it wasn't a very large vehicle, most likely. And so he's, he's traveling, and there's, there's a couple things Luke tells us about this Ethiopian who's on this chariot. First of all, he's an Ethiopian. He is from this, this region. It's not where modern-day Ethiopia is. He's in what's uh, it's a part of modern-day Sudan, so just kind of south of Egypt, and is part of this Nubian kingdom. And he is an official in Ethiopia. He's an official of, of Candace. You know, Candace isn't this queen's name. It's a hereditary title. There's a succession of queens with this title of Candace. And so this Ethiopian is a court official of, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He's this, this minister of finance. He's in charge of her treasure. He's an important official. The, the, the title, his responsibilities show us that he's important. But we also know that this guy on this chariot is important because he's been given permission to leave his duties and, and to travel to Jerusalem. This would have been a, a five-month trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He would have spent some time there in Jerusalem, says he was worshiping, and then he came back, which would have been another five months. So he has the, the ability to take this, I don't know, around a year, leave of his duties, travel, and then to return. And it says that 
He's reading, as he's returning, the prophet Isaiah. And Philip is told by the Spirit, go up to the chariot. Now, let's pause for for just a moment. Why do you think Luke is telling us this story about this Ethiopian? Philip has been in Samaria. There are lots of stories that Luke could have told us about what happened in Samaria. We, We know that there were signs and wonders and miracles, and there are other things that we could have found out about. There are other, other stories that we could have heard. We know that thousands of people have been, been saved by, by this point and been brought into the church through faith in Jesus Christ. Why, why this story? Well, one, this, this is a story that culminates in, in a baptism. He so said, we have it all, everyone's been, been baptized, right? I mean, there's all sorts of baptisms. Yes, but this is a, a story that culminates in a baptism, and it's a very special person who's being baptized here. You see, what else does this text tell us about this man? It tells us that he is a eunuch. In fact, his name is never given, and over and over again, like five times, he's going to be referred to as the eunuch, the eunuch. Now, why is that significant? Why Does Luke draw our attention to this? This man has traveled from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to engage in worship, but because of his physical condition, we know that he could never engage in in the fullness of worship that a a Jew could. He he could never become a Jew. He, He could never be circumcised. And so he can go to Jerusalem, and he can participate in worship to some degree. Maybe he can go to the court of the Gentiles, but he can never fully enter into worship of, of God. Under the old covenant, he is forever excluded from the temple. Deuteronomy 23.1, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. And when the eunuch went to Jerusalem, he could never come into the temple. He's forever on the outside. The old covenant was designed to, to help us understand our separation from God. The whole sign of circumcision was to describe, look, this is what can happen to a person who isn't in, in relationship with God through, his, through faith. They're, they're cut off from God. The old covenant tells us about our separation from God and our inability to enter into relationship with God. Now... What is Luke going to tell us about the new covenant? Everyone can participate fully. This this person who is excluded from participation in worship before, now the unit can, can fully participate in worship in the new covenant community. This is a beautiful thing. The old covenant is pointing to our inability. The new covenant is pointing to Christ's full sufficiency. And this Ethiopian eunuch who is forever on the outside of the temple in the Old Covenant now in the New Covenant can enter into the the fullness of worship of God, not because of his own ability, but because of his union with Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful thing. Our absolute security in the person of Jesus Christ 
And that's an essential truth for a disciple to understand. It is essential that a disciple understand as he or she begins that path of discipleship and continues on that path of discipleship, I am secure, and my security is not based upon my own abilities or my own obedience. My security is based upon the absolute sufficiency of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about how that is is proclaimed every time we have a baptism. We've only had a couple of baptisms here at a Bethany Community Church building. Maybe you remember our mini baptisms at five points where we would descend upon those poor people in the pool, hundreds of us gathering them, and you know these people kind of slinking away underneath the water, like, what are all these people doing as we came in there and, and did baptisms? And, and think about all the people who were baptized. I mean, we have baptized people who have been Christians for weeks. We've, been, we've baptized people who have been believers for decades. We have baptized people who are uh, so tiny that I was afraid they were going to baptize themselves as they stepped into the water and were, were hard to, to get in the water because they're so buoyant. Uh, we have baptized people that are, are so big. I've been grateful for water buoyancy because I didn't, wouldn't be able to lift them in any other circumstance than feet of water. Um, I mean, tall, short, we have baptized, you know, as the, as the song says, red, brown, yellow, black, and white. I mean, we have baptized all sorts of people. We baptized shy people and bold people. We baptized people in front of a large group. We baptized people in very small groups. And all are part of the new covenant through faith. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter how, uh, how, how prominent they are, doesn't matter what sort of physical deformities or, or what sort of physical issues we have. All of us are part of the new covenant, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus Christ. Discipleship begins with baptism and proclaims you're not going to be cut off. Relationship is secure. Every time we see a baptism, we see the sufficiency of Christ and the beauty of his new covenant paid for by the blood of Christ. You are in Christ, and he's in God the Father. There is no possibility of separation. A disciple needs to see that, needs to be encouraged by that continually. You are in Christ. Here's the second thing baptism proclaims. Baptism proclaims our participation in the, in the one story of God's redemption. This Ethiopian, as he's here on his chariot, is, is not just reading the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't exist yet, right? He, he's reading what we call now the Old Testament. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. And Philip runs up to him, it tells us in verse 30, and he hears him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he, he asks him, hey, do, do you understand what you're reading? I mean, here you are, this, this Ethiopian, uh, you're coming back from, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the Ethiopian says, look, I, I, I can't. How can I? How am I going to be able to do that unless someone, someone guides me? And he says, why don't you come on up here with me? And so Philip comes and sits down with him. And Luke tells us this is the passage of Scripture that he's reading. And in fact, if you'd like, you can turn back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53. He's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And the Isaiah 53, 7 through 8 says this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? So he's describing this suffering servant who suffers 
unjustly, who doesn't say anything, doesn't, doesn't rail against his accusers, but is like a lamb. He's like a, a sacrificial animal, like a Passover lamb. And the eunuch asks a great question in verse 34 as he reads Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He says, okay, who is he talking about here? Who, who is this suffering Messiah, this suffering servant? And listen to what it says in the text. He says, is the prophet saying about himself or someone else? And Philip opens his mouth, and, and starting here, starting Isaiah 53, he begins to tell him the what? Good news about Jesus. And if you're in Isaiah 53, what might he have pointed him to? Well, right before verse 7, you have verse 6 of Isaiah 53 that says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one of us to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. And maybe, maybe Philip draws his attention to that. We're not exactly sure what he would have said. Maybe he brings him into Isaiah 54 and 55, talking about the new covenant. Maybe he brings him into 56 and talking about the new covenant. Look at Isaiah 56. This is just this would have been right a little further down the scroll, and it's, you know they didn't have chapter divisions and verses, so it's it's a little more little uh, a little more seamless as they're reading it together. But listen to what verse 50. Uh, chapter 56, verse 3 says, and imagine how the Ethiopian would have responded to this. It says, let not the foreigner, so that's, that's an Ethiopian, let not the foreigner say, who has joined himself to God, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. In other words, you're a foreigner, don't feel like in the new covenant you're going to be separated from God. And then what else? Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath that does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. What a beautiful thing. And then verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declare, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. What is being proclaimed here? Philip is able to tell this Ethiopian, look, just because you're a foreigner, just because you've been separated outside the temple, God still has a plan for you. His plan of redemption was, was promised by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years ago. It was foretold and planned in eternity past, and God desires to bring you through redemption based upon the sacrifice of his son Jesus. He desires to bring you into relationship with him so that you can engage in, in worship of him. As this brother is baptized, what is happening? He is proclaiming that he is part of the one story of God's redemption, a story that was planned before the beginning of time. That is crucial for you and I to grasp as disciples. Sometimes in American churches, and I'm sure this isn't just unique to American churches, but we're in America, 
we can have a very limited understanding of God's broader plan, his global plan. In fact, we can sometimes think of God's plan as, okay, God's plan for his people began like in 1620 with the, the, the uh, pilgrims coming over on the Mayflower, or maybe it only began in 1776. And, and now God is like really doing his thing in America, right? And if, if, here's, here's an example. Here's an example, I think, of some very limited thinking we have. Some of us have been talking about a persecution in the church, and let me be very clear. You know, as during this last year, certainly some, some uh, state entities especially really overstepped their boundaries. And I'm, I'm grateful that our governor, uh, for all the things you may agree or disagree with him, I'm very grateful that he acknowledged that, look, these are suggestions. I, I, I'm not going to interfere with, with places of worship. So, interfering, government dictates of worship, bad, okay? I'm very clear on that. But for us to say, and, and I've, I've said similar things or, or thought similar things and, and heard some of us say similar things, saying things like, well, it looks like persecution is really beginning in the church. Uh, yeah, let's be careful there, okay? You know that in, in 2020, there was a 60% increase in Christians losing their life for the gospel worldwide. Losing their life for the gospel. In 2020, there were Christians in African and Asian countries who were denied access to basic medical care because they're Christians. My point is that the church doesn't begin and end with the American church, right? And what does baptism do? Baptism gives us a much broader scope of what the church is and what God's plan of redemption is. As we're baptized, we realize, okay, God's plan of redemption, I'm part of a plan of redemption that began in eternity past. And uh, the discipleship that God calls me to is not just about North American discipleship and, and living the American dream. As I'm, as I'm baptized, I recognize I'm part of this one plan of redemption. How does that help me end up my discipleship? Because I recognize the path of discipleship may be a very difficult path of discipleship that God calls me on. God has called my brothers and sisters throughout church history and before church history. He has called them to, to witness through the very sacrifice of their lives. And discipleship helps, baptism helps me understand that path of discipleship that God may have for me. Here's a third thing that I want us to see about what baptism does. Baptism proclaims our understanding and belief in the gospel. As we are baptized, I believe that the testimony of the New Testament is clear. What's happening is we are proclaiming that we understand and that we believe the gospel. Verse 36, they're, they're, going, to the wa- uh, they're going down the road and they, they come to some water. And the eunuch says, look, here's, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And it's kind of this... Beautiful question, right? Before he knew what prevented him from going into the temple, his physical condition, now he's heard the gospel, he's believed the gospel, he understands it, and so he's asking Philip, okay, now can I be identified with the people of God? And, and Philip is going to say, yes, you can. There's nothing preventing you from being baptized. 
And I believe what's happening here is a profession of faith. And as we go through the New Testament and we encounter baptisms over and over again, we see that the people who are baptized are those who have understood and believed the gospel and are proclaiming that through baptism. In fact, maybe some of you are kind of astute. And as I read through the text earlier, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's verse 37? What's going on here? What kind, of, what kind of Bible is this missing verse 37? Well, verse 37, we believe, was added after Luke wrote the Gospel of Acts. Maybe some of your Bibles have it in there. But verse 37 says this. He said, you know, the, the Ethiopian asks, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip responds, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I don't think Luke wrote those words. I think that an early scribe who was kind of meditating upon the truths kind of wrote those in, and as people kind of copied the text, and some of the texts they find that that verse finds its way into the, into the, the story of Luke. But what it does show us is that from a very early, early stage, the church understood the importance of profession as a part of baptism. So as I've talked about before, that's one of the reasons that we don't baptize infants or very, very young children. We think that confession of the gospel is an essential aspect of participation in the new covenant. And if you have more questions about that, that's not for today, but you can look at some of our sermons from January of 2016 as we talked about membership and baptism at Bethany Community Church. You can just go to our website and uh, resources and new and current sermon series. And if you can't navigate all that, just email me and I'll, I'll send you the link. But, but I think it's important to see baptism is doing this. It's proclaiming our understanding and belief of the gospel. It proclaims the new covenant, which an unbeliever cannot participate in. Here's the fourth thing that I want us to see. Fourth, baptism proclaims our, our union with Christ and his church. It's proclaiming our union with Christ. It's also proclaiming our union with his church. What happens in verse 38? It says, he commanded the chariot to stop. That's the Ethiopian tells his driver to, to stop. And they both go down. So it's not just the Ethiopian didn't say, stop, hold on, I'm going to go baptize myself. And then he dips down and baptizes himself. Philip goes with him. In fact, as you look at the command to be baptized in Scripture, it's often given in the passive. So be baptized. So let, let someone baptize you. You're the, you're the recipient of, of baptism as baptism is commanded in the book of Acts and elsewhere. And they both go down the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And I, I think there's also some things here that, we're not going to get into this this morning, but there's also some things about the mode of baptism that I think are instructive. They, they can't just be baptized through sprinkling on of, of water from the canteen and the chariot. They actually have to go to the water and they go into the water and are, are baptized. Now, we, um, we recognize there's differences of opinion there. I don't believe that's a gospel issue, but I think it's an important thing to think through what baptism is, is symbolizing our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Two things I really want you to notice here, though. The first thing I want you to notice is that there is, there is no other means that Scripture gives us to officially be recognized as united with Christ other than baptism. There's no other means that, that Scripture gives us or instructs us in 
to help us publicly identify as followers of Christ other than baptism. That's, that's it. In terms of official recognition, I'm, I'm in Christ. It's, it's baptism. Maybe you've walked an aisle at an evangelistic crusade. That's great. Maybe you've, you've raised your, your hand at a, at a crusade or in a youth group meeting and said, you know, I want to become a Christian that's great. Maybe you've given your testimony publicly at a small group or at a, at a camp or something. And, and again, great. But in terms of what Scripture tells us to do, to publicly identify ourselves as followers of Christ, this, this is the thing. Baptism. The second thing that I want you to notice is in terms of being identified with God's people. This is the means that God has given us to, to do that. In terms of being identified as a Christian and, and part of a church, this is the means that God has given us to identify with his people publicly. Now, you know, we pass out green folders with some membership things in there that we think are, that are helpful for us to identify who's part of the church and who's not part of the church. We uh, teach membership classes. Um, we have really cool Bethany logos you can put on things, but none of those things are what Scripture tells us are the thing to do to, to publicly identify yourself with the people of God. It's, it's baptism. And if you haven't been baptized, you haven't publicly identified yourself with Christ, and you haven't publicly identified yourself with his church. And both of those things, of course, are, are crucial to do. Now, how does it help us with discipleship? You say, okay, how does it, why is that important? Well, it's important because as you publicly identify yourself as a follower of Christ, you're saying, okay, this is, this is the path that I am publicly committing to pursue. And when I'm baptized, when I observe a baptism, what else is happening? I'm acknowledging that this Christian life is not about just me and God being best friends, me and God, just doing it, doing it by myself and God. That's not what God has called us to. Baptism proclaims I'm, I'm part of this, this family. First of all, the, the larger family of, of Christ, but I'm, I'm part of a local family. I, I'm recognizing that I have a responsibility to the, the people that I, I worship with. And, and like a family, um, it's not perfect, there are issues, but I'm, I'm needed within this family. Within a family, there are going to be people that, that sin against me and that I sin against, and, and I, need, I need to forgive them, and I need their forgiveness. I need to protect myself against, against bitterness and against uh, holding accounts wrong, wrongs that others have, have done against me. I need, I need the family of God. And sometimes, like in a regular family, you're going to be the life preserver. And, and other Christians are going to need to, to cling to you to, to do the Christian life and, and to disciple together because they are, they are beyond their ability to deal with the things in which they find, the places in which they find themselves, and they cling to you like a life preserver. And they just say, look, I, I'm struggling with this sin, and I need you in my life. I'm struggling with this family situation. I, I need you in my life. I'm struggling with this health issue. I just need you to help point me to Christ. And, and sometimes, frankly, you're going to be the anchor, like dragging people down. 
And here was, I, I need the church to, to call me to account. I need them to help me not to, 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 to drag others down with, with the path that I'm pursuing. We need to live the Christian life in community. Baptism proclaims that. And I would encourage you, every time we have a baptism service and you have the ability to be here, be here. Welcoming your brothers and sisters in Christ to his church and encouraging them in their faith. And here's the fifth thing that baptism proclaims. Number, number five, baptism proclaims our ongoing joy in Christ. Baptism proclaims our ongoing joy in Christ. It says they come up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord carries Philip away. The eunuch doesn't see him anymore, but he continues on his way rejoicing. He has left Jerusalem. He's on this road. He's headed to Ethiopia. And the assumption is he continues in that joy, that, that baptism is, is an outward sign of the inward joy that takes place. And he's going to continue on his way as a result of this baptism, rejoicing. He's going to proclaim that joy to others. And, and Philip does the, the same thing. He finds himself at Azotus, and as he passes through, he preaches the gospel everywhere he is until he comes to Caesarea. Each baptism, in each baptism, disciples are identified. They become a visible part of, of the discipleship that God calls all of us to, and the truths that are proclaimed in baptism are absolutely essential for us to live the Christian life. That's what happens in the story. Here's an Ethiopian eunuch. An Ethiopian eunuch, a foreigner, can never fully become a Jew, and he stands outside the temple forever under the Old Covenant, forever separated from the fullness of visible identification with God's people. Now, I believe he could be a true believer. God could work in his heart, but there's a, a visible sign that the Old Covenant gives us that, hey, you're, you're separate your sins separate you from God. He's forever outside the temple. And now, visibly, he becomes a part of, of the new covenant. And, and he goes from being someone who is outside the temple to someone who is part of the temple of God. As a disciple, it's a beautiful thing, the new covenant that God calls us to through faith. Baptism is essential to obeying Jesus' commands, Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. I pray for my, my friends here this morning who perhaps have not trusted in your son Jesus. I pray that, that even as, as I'm praying right now, your spirit would work in their hearts and, and you would give them the, the desire to enter into a relationship with you, to to be aware of their sin that, that keeps them cut off from you, separate from you, and they would see the beauty of Jesus and the new covenant, and they would, they would trust in Jesus. They would confess their sins even now to you and turn from them and, tr and place their faith in Jesus and the forgiveness that is offered through him. I pray that you would draw people to your son even in this moment. And then, Father, we think about these truths that baptism proclaims as we respond in obedience to the, the gospel. We thank you for the new covenant. We thank you for the, the story of your redemption from eternity past that we are now brought into. And we thank you. We thank you for your incredible grace in your son, Jesus. And we pray that we would demonstrate the joy that we have in him. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.